Thanks for checking out the UNI Salt Company podcast. To learn more about us, go to saltcedarfalls.com. Good evening, Salt Company. My name is Jordan Prohoda. I'm one of the co-directors here at Salt Company. And like Michael said, we've been going through uh, this new series called Gospel Change Series. The first week, we talked through Romans 3 and what it looked like to take your first, your first breath uh, in the gospel with salvation and coming to salvation to Jesus. And Michael talked about, man, take all of the list of the good things that you've ever done in your life, all the bad things you've ever done in your life, just burn them both and run to King Jesus. That's what we're called to do. So that was the first week. Second week, we talked about what it looked like to be dead to sin. The moment that you are alive in Christ, you are dead to sin and the power and enslavement of sin over you. So that's something to cheer about. And then this week, we get to do a little something a little different. We are talking this week about the reality that the gospel isn't just your admission ticket into heaven. It is the oxygen that you and I need to breathe every single day. The gospel isn't Christianity 101 in the class for beginners. The gospel is the blood that needs to be flowing through our veins. And so tonight, what we got to tackle and wrestle with is although we're dead to sin and alive to Christ, we still battle with sin every single day. Each one of you knows this, that every day you're going to have a battle with sin. So what do we do in that every single day? How do we battle sin? How do we have victory over sin? How are we made alive in Christ in that? And that's where we're going to be at tonight. Uh, and the answer to that is going to be found in Titus. So if you guys want to start turning to the book of Titus, uh, this letter is one that Paul wrote to Titus. Uh, they were together for a while in a, in a place called Crete. Paul left and left Titus in charge, and the state of the union for Crete at this point is the morals of this place, they're plummeting, there's gluttony, there's laziness, there's a lot of things going on that Titus is dealing with, including just false teaching. And Paul has sharp words for the teachers. Uh, he tells Titus to rebuke them, and then in 1.16, he says, they profess to know God, but they deny him by their works. They are detestable, disobedient, and disqualified for any good work. So in light of that, Paul is going to switch gears and start talking to believers in chapter 2. My assignment tonight is actually only two verses, but I want to read the 10 verses leading up to it. Uh, so I'm going to read through those. Uh, and the other thing is, last week I noticed... Uh, from you guys as Michael was preaching a little bit of like, like you guys were talking back a little bit. And I just want to say tonight, I'm good with that. Like if you guys want to give some amens or hot diggities or I agree with that, it'd be an odd thing to say, but you could do that. It's like five syllables. Yeah. Somebody's going to do it. Oh my word. All right. Let's read from God's word. So Titus chapter two, verse one says this. But you, not the false teachers, but you, Titus, must say the things that are consistent with sound teaching. Now he's going to hit some different demographics right here. Older men are to be level-headed, worthy of respect, sensible and sound in faith, love and endurance. In the same way, older women are to be reverent in behavior, not slanders, not addicted to much wine. They are to teach what is good so they may encourage the young women to love their husbands and to love their children to be self-controlled, pure, 
homemakers, kind and submissive to their husbands, so that God's message will not be slandered. In the same way, encourage the young men to be self-controlled in everything. Make yourself an example of good works with integrity and dignity in your teaching. Your message is to be sound beyond reproach so that the opponent will be ashamed having nothing bad to say about us. Slaves are to be submissive to their masters in everything and to be well-pleasing, not talking back or stealing, but demonstrating utter faithfulness so that they may adorn the teaching of God our Savior in everything. Verse 11, for the grace of God has appeared with salvation for all people. That first word in verse 11 is crucial. It's why I just read the first 10 verses. Four explains the reason behind everything that was just stated in verse, verses 1 through 10. When Paul gives them a list of things to do and things they need to be like, the four informs everything that precedes it. And really, for us as Christians, our beliefs inform everything we do. Our practices, our behaviors, the way we act. The fancy Christian terminology is orthodoxy informs orthopraxy. What you believe informs what you practice. And what he is going to say, Paul, in this letter is, for the grace of God has appeared with salvation for all people. For what the grace. Definition of grace is this. Grace is getting what I don't deserve and not getting what I do deserve. Grace, that's what I'm talking about. Grace is getting what I do not deserve and not getting what I do deserve. What is that that we received that we did not deserve? We had Easter a couple weeks ago. The most horrific thing that ever happened to any human being happened on the cross to the person of Jesus Christ. But what it was was God's grace on display. Why? Because what we deserve is eternity underneath God's wrath. If you want to play the that's what's fair game, that's what's fair. Anything north of hell is grace. But the grace of God appeared in the person of Jesus Christ. I got a passage from Romans 5 that is going to explain this for us. Romans 5, 6 through 11 says this. Guys, listen to this. Let this sink in. Put your pens down. For while we were still helpless, at the appointed moment, Christ died for all the ungodly. For the ungodly. For rarely will someone die for a just person, though for a good person perhaps someone might even dare to die. But God proves his own love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Much more than, since we have now been declared righteous by his blood, we will be saved through him from wrath. For if, while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, then how much more, having been reconciled, we will be saved by his life. And not only that, but we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ. We have now received this reconciliation through him. The gospel is crazy. We are sinners deserving death. We are beggars in the presence of a king. And as we step into his throne room, what does he do? He steps down off of his throne and comes and dies 
for you and for me. And now when we put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ, we are clothed with the righteousness of Christ so that when God sees us, he sees perfection. He sees his son. And the reality that the righteousness of Christ is given to anyone is incredible grace. The fact that it is offered to everyone should overwhelm you because God's ocean of grace is something we should drown ourselves in. That is the gospel. And some of you here tonight, Josh said it right before that song, some of you here tonight need to hear that truth and need to say, I am a sinner. I need the righteousness of Christ. I know on judgment day, God's going to judge me on my righteousness or Christ. I want to be with Jesus. I pray that that would be you tonight. It is the saving faith that comes through the gospel. Now, what we're talking about tonight is the saving grace, but also that same grace that saved us is going to instruct us on how to live. And this is what Paul's going to do in verses 11 through 12 as he ties them together. He's going to say that same grace has implications after salvation. So, Verse 11, for the grace of God has appeared with salvation for all people, instructing us to deny godliness, circle deny, and worldly lust, and to live, circle live, in a sensible, righteous, and godly way in the present age. Remember, real quick, Paul is talking to Christians here, people who are following Christ. So those who have found saving faith, two commands, deny godlessness and worldly lust is the first one. And I think for some of you here tonight, you might read over that and just think, well, I'm, I'm not plunging my life into sin, into immorality or greed. I'm broke. I'm a college student. Like, I'm, I'm good, <laughs> right? And, and I, one of the fears I think that happens with sin, especially in our culture today, is that I think it's getting pretty normalized in, in what uh, Jerry Bridges would say, and the, the way he would call this is, is kind of a cruise control approach to sin, where we hit the, our spiritual highway, and as we're rolling, we kind of check out the, the flow of traffic and the spiritual behavior of everyone around us, and then we just kind of like slow down to where people are at and then hit that cruise control. I think this is a true in a lot of ways for our culture, and this is what I mean by it. Here's some examples of maybe some cruise control-like sins. Integrity. Lack of integrity. For you, as you do your homework and your tests, are you having integrity when that professor's not looking? When you're in your dorm room or in your apartment doing that homework? I think a lot of ways, if we see our friend doing it, it's like, okay, hit that cruise control. Integrity. How about uh, anger and frustration? Right? Do, are you easily agitated? Are you impatient? A lot of you guys have roommates. They get messy. And they don't clean up their stuff, and you do it for them. <laughs> What's that do to your heart? Do you realize you're a sinner saved by grace? <laughs> Guys, I think in a lot of ways we can get angry, and then also we can harbor bitterness towards people who have wronged us, and we feel like they need to come to us. Are you holding bitterness against people? Or how about this one, materialism? I so think this has uh, saturated our culture in so many different ways. Have you become discontent with the things you own? with the version of iPhone you have, with the shoes you have, the clothes you have, the car you own. Right now we're talking about 
maybe buying a new car, and that does weird things to my heart to start looking on Auto Trader and those different things. Materialism, is that something for you where that's become more important than God? And I think in our spiritual walk, what we find is that as we step into this room and the lights are dimly lit, it's like, okay, this is, this is the state. We're doing pretty good. The Holy Spirit in your life is going to start slowly turning that light up, and you're going to see that cobweb in the corner and that spider crawl across. And you're like, we got some cleaning, cleaning up to do. And I think in a lot of ways, when we talk about denying godlessness, I think a lot of us have to identify what those are in our life. And when God presents that to you, it's like, okay, now's your opportunity to deny the godlessness or worldly lust and put to death like, like Michael was talking about last week. When God flips those lights on, our call is to deny. That's the command. Now, I want to slow down a little bit here because I think uh, one of my fears, especially in Christianity, Christianity is when we hear those things, I think the way we start portraying God is a little bit like a policeman or a cop or a fun hater. And uh, what I want to show you tonight is that the Christian life isn't a bunch of don'ts and do nots. Uh, it's an opportunity to say yes to something greater. And so this is what we're going to do. Uh, guys, put down your pens for a little bit, your Bibles. We're, we're going to go to the imagination station. I just made that up. Uh, we're jumping in the magic school bus. If you've ever, has anyone heard of, yeah, I heard an amen. That's awesome. Miss Frazzle or whatever. All right, so we're jumping in the bus. All right, so imagine with me, you are with your family of four. You have your mom, your dad, and your little brother who's 10. And you guys are approached by your dad, and he says, hey, we're going on family vacation. And where we're going is we're going up north, we're going to Canada. But where we're going specifically, uh, I'm not going to tell you. I want to leave that as a surprise. So your family jumps in the van, packs up, and your dad's saying, hey, for a whole month, we're going to take this trip. So you guys head up. Uh, your little brother, uh, he starts complaining a little bit on the way up, and you guys are, are making your way to, to this spot in Canada. After the long drive, you finally get there, and you hit the base of the mountain, and your dad says, hey, there's a Super 8 motel here. We're going to crash here tonight, and then in the morning, we're going to start hiking this mountain. Now, what happens is you get to Super 8 Motel, and your brother uh, starts throwing a fit. He's not happy after the long car ride, and he's, he's saying he doesn't actually want to go up the mountain anymore, just wants to stay in the hotel room and play Game Boy and watch TV. He doesn't even want to go on the trip anymore. So he throws the fit, but your dad, in a loving, encouraging way, uh, still convinces him to go. So the next morning, you guys, you guys make your trip, and you start walking up this mountain, and it's shady at times. There's a, a beaten path, you can tell, but it's steep, uh, and there's cliffs. There's, there's opportunities where you could fall, and, and as you're walking up, your dad is a champ. The whole time, he's, he's encouraging when you guys are getting tired. Uh, he's, he's instructing you when you need to. He's, he's like, okay, up here, there's, there's no rail up there, so watch out carefully. He's warning you, your brother, halfway up, decides to be a rebel and uh, run off the beaten path, even though his dad told him not to. And he slips, hits some loose gravel, and starts heading towards a cliff. As, as he's stumbling, your dad runs after him, grabs him, saves him, pulls him up, and brings him back on, back on the path and says, please stay on the path. Just trust me. Please stay on the path. We're almost there. And after a long day, you guys walk, and you get to what seems like the top. And 
your dad grabs a branch, and as your family falls behind, pulls the branch away and says, we're here. And as you look up in the mid-afternoon, this is what you see. Does anyone know what this is, where this is? This is, uh, this is Banff, and uh, specifically, this is Lake Louise, and it's a glacier lake. Mount Victoria is, can be seen in the backdrop. And guys, this is one of the top spots for really anybody to go in the world. And, and actually, what you can, I can't really see it with the drum cage. I should have got a better picture there. At the bottom, there's this castle-like hotel called the Fairmont Chateau, which when you name something Chateau, you know it's good. <laughs> I, uh, I went on their website today, and to, to book a room there over the weekend, uh, it's, a, it's about $1,000 a night just to stay there. So, this is, this is what your dad, as he pulls the branch away, this is what you walk into. And your dad informs you that for the rest of the month, what he's done is he actually has booked the nicest hotel room on the top floor at the Chateau, and you guys are spending the rest of your month here. Some of you guys are like, well, we're there. You know, let's start clapping. Yeah, we did it. Nick Louise. So, what I want to say in that is this. How foolish would it have been if your brother would have said, I'm staying at the Super 8 all month. I, don't, I just want to play Game Boy. I don't, I don't trust you, Dad. I don't care anymore. I just want to be here. This seems good enough for me. What I want to say about our little fun story is we at times can be the little brother spiritually. And this is how C.S. Lewis put it. I got, I got a quote here for you. And he said, It would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea. We are far too easily Pleased. We want to stay at the Super 8. We don't want to stay on the path. We want to go off the path. And what Paul is going to say in verse 12 is stay on the path. Trust me. Live in a sensible, righteous, and godly way in the present age. That is how you stay on the path. Sensible. Uh, expositors put it this way. It's an inward-looking, self-control, being temperate. That, that righteousness, that's an outward expression of faith. Selflessness, purity, and humility. And then godly behavior, living in a godly way, that's an upward relation with the Lord. Security in your identity in Jesus, a spiritual wholeness about you. And, and those, those feel very general and not very specific so how do we add some meat to that bones? And guys, it's the whole reason, one of the main reasons I read those first 10 verses to you. The specific examples of how we stay on the right path are found there. Women, be reverent in behavior. Verse 3, not slanders. Don't gossip. Don't be addicted to much wine. Be kind. Be pure with your body and your mind. Is that the trajectory of your life? Are you learning from older, wiser, godly women around you? 
men. Isn't it interesting that after giving a huge list for older men, older women, and younger women, young men, this is what we've been given. One thing. Be self-controlled. Paul says, if I could sum up one thing for young men, be self-controlled. Men, are you self-controlled with your life? Whether it is your sexual purity or your time, what are you giving yourself to? Your money. Are you on a trajectory where you could say, I'm heading towards that older man category. I'm level-headed, worthy of respect. I have moral character. I have integrity. Is this the trajectory of your lives? Because this is the path that we're called to walk. Now, I want to ask this question. How do we do it, though, and why? How do we do it, and why? Go back to our hike up the mountain. If in that hypothetical situation we are the younger brother, who is the father? Grace. Grace personified. What Paul is doing here is he's saying, for the grace of God has appeared, the salvation of all people, that same grace is instructing us to deny godlessness and live in a godly way. We are called to be disciplined by grace, which sounds like an oxymoron. Discipline sounds strict, not fun, all those things, legalistic, Grace sounds like free-for-all, fun, let's go have a blast, let's have a party. Disciplined grace is what the Christian is called to do, the lifestyle he's called to live. But grace, like any good father or coach, is instructing us to the person of Jesus Christ. He will teach us at times. Grace personified, encourage us when we need it. He will instruct us, coach us, discipline us. And grace is going to do what no other coach could ever do. And that is motivate you from a well, a never-ending well of love. This is how Jerry Bridges summed this up. Duty, or feeling obligated to, or guilt may motivate us for a while, but only a sense of Christ's love for us will motivate us for a lifetime. Duty or guilt, that can motivate anyone for a while. You understand Jesus' love for you and his grace flowing into your life that will motivate you for a lifetime. And this is what we need to hear because guess what? Tomorrow, you and I, we will sin. We're sinners saved by grace. It's true. And what you're going to need to hear is grace in your ear to say, you're forgiven. I'm not mad at you. I love you. All of my anger was absorbed by my son on the cross. I'm not mad at you. You're forgiven. You need to hear that encouragement from grace speaking into your life. And then there's going to be times when we need a kick in the pants from grace. 
where we do, because Jesus didn't die on a cross for us to do nothing. And there's going to be times like a good like any good basketball coach would, to motivate his guys or gals to work hard on the court, grace is going to motivate us to work hard for the spreading of the kingdom and the gospel for God's glory. This, Salt Company, this is the oxygen we need to breathe in every single day of our lives. And the way that Dr. Jack Miller said it, is you need to preach the gospel to yourself every single day. Remember the truths of the gospel and God's incredible grace in your life. That is how you say no to sin and yes to living a life worthy of him. Now let me ask this. Will this require effort on your end? I think one of the lies that the devil will tell in the doctrine of grace or how we think about grace is this. Grace is free. Jesus died on the cross for you. Grace abounds. It's all right if you don't flee from sin. It's all right if you don't want to pursue a godly life. Grace abounds. And what I want to say to that lie from the devil is this. Because Mark Arendt, the lead pastor of Veritas Church in Iowa City, said something recently that I think was really helpful for me. Grace is not anti-effort. Grace is anti-earning. The enemy of grace is earning, not effort. So if we go back to our Lake Louise illustration, we did not deserve to spend an entire month at the chateau. But we did. We didn't even deserve to be in that family. But we'd been brought into that family. It's grace. We didn't deserve it. Now, will it be challenging and difficult walking up that mountain Yes. Will there be times where we will be tired and exhausted and we need encouragement and be spurred on to keep going? Absolutely. It is hard to get up early and read God's word. It is hard to get up early and to pray. It is hard to flee from sin because it keeps coming and coming and coming at you. And it seems like the more godly your life becomes as you walk down that path, the bigger the target you are for the devil and what he wants to do with you. It is hard. It will take effort. But grace is not anti-effort. Grace will instruct you and remind you why you're doing what you're doing. And that's exactly how Paul finishes up this passage. Let me read these last couple verses in 13 and 14 as Paul reminds us of the why. While we wait, let me go back to 12. The grace of God is instructing us to deny godliness and worldly lusts and to live in a sensible, righteous, and godly way to walk that path in the present age while we wait for the blessed hope and appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. 
He gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to cleanse for himself a people for his own possession, eager to do good works. Why should we say no to sin and yes to godly living? Because King Jesus is coming back. Because Lake Louise is coming. We get to go to heaven where Jesus is the all-consuming center of everything, and we will fall on our faces, throw our crowns, and say, you are worthy for all of eternity. All the goosebumps and incredible feelings you get in an incredible worship service, magnify that by a bajillion, and then put Jesus at the center of all of it, and now we're starting to get closer to heaven. That's why we do what we do as Christians. We are called to wait for Jesus to come back eager and expectant. But he's not back yet. So while we wait, we're called to live a life worthy of him until then. How? Verse 14, he gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to cleanse for himself a people for his own possession, eager to do good works. Jesus Christ gave himself for us. He came on a rescue mission for us. He paid the the incredibly steep price of sin for us. And now, now we're a church that has been freed from lawlessness. We have been freed from the bondage of sin, and we are called to live a life worthy of him. So when we start complaining about this life and how hard things are getting, most likely what has happened is that you have forgotten what he has done for you. That spiritual amnesia has started to sink in a little bit, and you've forgotten that duty and guilt may motivate for a little while, but the love of Christ that can be seen and displayed on the cross, motivates for a lifetime. We will be called to do good works eagerly and with enthusiasm. We're going to hate sin, and we're going to sprint towards a godly life because Jesus. And I'm telling you tonight, Soul Company, if, you're, if hating sin or living a godly life, if this has become a burden to you, you are missing it. We have to remember what Jesus has done for us. Remember, our life as followers of Christ is not to go through life and check off religious checklist items. Our call is to voluntarily love and follow the one who paid the price and gave everything for us. That's why we do what we do. We remember what he's done for us and what that creates in us is a longing and a love for the God who is. And when you start longing for Jesus, when you start longing for relationship with him who gave everything for you, I'm telling you guys, that whole godly behavior thing, it just starts working itself out. (laughs) It just starts showing up in your life because you're pursuing Jesus in relationship with Jesus. We have to every single day because we're human, we're sinners, and we forget. Remind ourselves of the grace 
of the gospel. Let that grace motivate you, propel you, instruct you, guide you, coach you, and discipline you until the day that Jesus comes back. He's been waiting all sermon. (laughs) This is what I want to say to close. Our hope in life is that when Jesus does come back, he will find us on the path. And as he pulls that branch away and we see Lake Louise and we turn and look, that Jesus would look in our eyes and say, Well done, good and faithful servant. Let me pray for us. Father, I'm so thankful for the grace of the gospel. And this has been new for me to think of grace personified as a a father and a coach that's instructing us to deny godlessness, to live a life worthy of you, But it's been a great reminder for me every day that I've studied this text that Jesus, you left everything. You came for us. You came down from heaven, became a human, and gave everything for us. You paid it for us. And Jesus, my prayer is that all of us in this room who follow you would follow you in such a way that that would be true, that you would say, well done, good and faithful servant. And Jesus, we cannot wait for you to come back. I hope as soon as we get done singing these last two songs, you show up. I would love that. Jesus, we want you to return. We want you, Jesus. And until you do, would we live lives worthy of you, motivated by the grace of the gospel. We love you, Jesus, and it is in your name we pray. Amen. This has been a message from the Salt Company. We'd love for you to join us Thursday nights at 8 p.m. at Candeo Church in Cedar Falls.